This is the Packet Pushers Heavy Networking. On today's show, we get into network automation, and network automation can be a heavy lift once you get beyond you know, a handful of simple scripts. Network teams building out an automation strategy have to assemble and manage a mix of open source and commercial products, upskill on tools like Python and Ansible, capture knowledge that lives inside individual engineers' heads, and build processes to ensure that automations are correct, repeatable, and deliver the intended outcomes. So on today's episode, which is sponsored, we're going to talk with Backbox. Backbox is our sponsor. They've developed a platform that aims to deliver practical network automation, and that means addressing key use cases like config management and OS upgrades out of the box, while also being extensible enough to tackle more complex tasks, including firewall and security automation. So we're going to get under the hood of Backbox's platform to understand how it works, what it delivers, and how it addresses the challenges that today's network engineers are dealing with. Our guests from Backbox are Josh Stevens, Chief Technology and Strategy Officer, and Perry Greenwood, Senior Product Manager. Uh, Josh and Perry, welcome to the podcast. So in 90 seconds or less, can you tell us what Backbox does? Thank you so much, and we're very excited to be here. Uh, Backbox is a leading provider of multi-vendor network automation software. Uh, we're based in Dallas, Texas. Our R&D center is in Tel Aviv, Israel. And we focus on providing a platform that is very consumable and usable by network teams, not necessarily a developer or a scripter. We're, we're focused on the network teams and whatever capabilities they have within that team. And one of the things that makes us very different is we're potentially the most trusted vendor in the space. We focus a lot on firewalls. That's usually kind of our leading uh, entry in terms of device type. We also do network devices like routers, switches, and access points. And we ship over 3,000 automations out of the box, and we add to that every single week for our customers. So I think one of the things that I'm hearing you're saying, Josh, here is that network teams, when well, they're not struggling and they're not falling behind, there's just so much more to do with network security. Like we, a lot of the times we talk about operations as, you know, improving the configuration of VLANs or, you know, making it possible to add and remove IP addresses or interfaces and that sort of thing. But I think one of the things we don't talk about in automation is actually network security, firewalls, and the fact that they're just so much more complex. How does Backbox attack this problem? You know, originally, our first focus was firewalls. Uh, when Backbox was first started, we were being used by some MSPs to manage very large, complex firewall environments, and specifically around making backup and recovery a one-click operation. And if you can safely recover or roll back a configuration change instantly, then that empowers you to run more complex operations because you know you can always roll back. Now, those devices can be very complex, especially checkpoints and palos and some of the Cisco devices. So being able to do that across a multi-vendor environment is something we really focus on. So when we talk about automation, the first instance is this configuration management, you know, made a firewall rule change and the boss rings up at 10 o'clock at night and says, something's not working. And you just say, I'll oh, click the rollback button and we'll work on it tomorrow. That's a start. Now, the key here is that Backbox has been around for what, 10 years, 15 years, something like that. You've been around a while. That's right, over 10 years. So you've actually got a long history here. You didn't sort of suddenly arrive at network automation six months ago after developing something in a back room for a year or two with a bunch of kids, which I like, right? Because I like to think that there's actually grown up adults in the products that we're working with. But I think the thing here is that this security thing is very different to just configuration management of the network because the policies are so more complex. They're like hundreds of thousands of lines long in some cases. The rules are very sophisticated. It's not just a permit, deny, IP, TCP. It's actually the whole application stack. It's not just the configuration of the firewalls. It's the OS on the firewalls. And it's the criticality of a firewall within the IT infrastructure ecosystem. I mean, if the firewall is down, the entire network is unreachable. That, that, that is your demarcation from public internet onto your private network. And 
if the firewall is compromised because there's some critical CVE you haven't patched, then you left the door open and you're likely to be exploited and, and maybe be in the news in a way that you don't want to be. So firewalls are hypercritical. They're really hard to do. But as you said, we've been doing this for a very long time and we've built a product that's very secure, trusted by over 100,000 networks around the world, secure, reliable and scalable because Quite frankly, I've been a network engineer for over 30 years, and I believe in products that people like to use and that help them recover their personal time. I, I don't want people doing upgrades on nights and weekends. I don't want people getting woken up at two o'clock in the morning because, you know, an ACL update failed. Uh, let's let's get rid of the mundane work and let's focus on the things that we enjoy doing that we learn from. So can we get into some specifics then on, on what exactly you're doing around firewall automation? Because there's a lot of ways that could go. One example uh, that we have around firewall automation is recently we had a customer who was struggling doing even basic backups on uh, some checkpoint VSXs. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, one of those uh, customers where uh, they were in the medical space. You know, it was critical that they have backups because they need to be able to restore devices quickly and consistently. Um if they went down, because every moment a device was down was a moment that, um, you know, that hospital might not be connected to the outside world. Right. So they were struggling with backups. Uh, we were able to bring them into the backbox environment and show them exactly what we could do. Uh, and all it took was showing them uh, that, hey, we can actually do these VSX backup and restore in an automated way with an automation that's already built into the product. There was no custom development. There was no you know, hey, this is going to take hours of your time in order to figure out exactly what to pull. They're able to just use the out-of-the-box automation in order to do the backup and the restore of those devices. And they actually purchased Backbox just for that purpose. Now, that's interesting because you're talking about a use case that's, to my mind, cutting across multiple silos in an organization, the network side, the security side, and the storage team. Uh, so how did that you know, sort of play out in terms of who was responsible for what? The networking side tends to be responsible in most of the customers that we talk to for backing up and restoring of uh, config data for the devices. So that fell within their networking team. And Backbox has an internal database that we pull all these uh, configs into. Now you can export that to you know anything you want. You could imagine you know uh, SCPing it wherever you want, uh, or like a uh, S3 bucket or Amazon Glacier for some customers, right? So where you send it doesn't really matter to us as much, um, but mm -hmm. to them, you know, they were just able to pull it onto the Backbox machine in this case and store it in our database. I think the interesting part here too is that the scale of what Backbox can do, because you're not just talking about one firewall here, you're talking about hundreds or thousands in this case because it's a service provider. Yeah, so this particular case, they had, I think, over 500 firewalls that they were dealing with and trying to pull the all this data in a very short period of time where they had that downtime basically during the day, where they had a lull in the activity on the firewalls. It takes that processor power uh, to send those configs back to a system to collect them, as well as a little bit of bandwidth because firewall configs can be pretty massive. What we see is a lot of enterprise buyers seeking us out to do this sort of firewall and network device automation. For teams that have less than three full-time network specialists, we see a lot of those networks leaning on MSPs. And so we have a large MSP group of customers that are automating and managing networks for you know hundreds or thousands of customers at scale. These problems 
get harder the larger the environment. You know, if you've got one firewall, it's not that hard of a thing to do to back it up and, you know, upgrade the OS and, and manage configurations. Well, and also if it's your firewall, but in the case of an MSP, it's someone else's firewall. That's exactly right. Like you're just the person who's on call and, you know, you're looking at this firewall, this company's got 20 firewalls. Well, what are those rules for? I don't know. All I know is that they're rules, right? I don't know what the context is for their business. So you've got different needs. Absolutely. And it's, it's a very challenging problem, both in the enterprise and amongst MSPs and many MSSPs that are doing this. How do you deal with this challenge at scale? And, and part of what's complicating this scenario is we're not just talking about scale in terms of the explosion of device count. We're also talking about scale in terms of the number of upgrades that need to occur because of all of the CVEs that are being identified amongst firewall OSs and other network devices OSs. And it is a real challenge that people are looking for a way to solve. You know, 20 years ago, we really locked down the network and we only did upgrades once or twice a year when we really had to. But now that's that's not acceptable because CVEs are being announced every single month. And if you can't update at least quarterly, you're going to fall far behind. I mean, the the rate at which CVEs and weaknesses and the, the rate at which patches are being released to devices, it wasn't, you know, in the old days, it was one couple of times a year. Now it's much more often. But I wonder what happens in a multi-vendor firewall environment. Do you find some way of bringing it together? Like the way that Checkpoint treats firewalls is very different from Palo, is very different from Fortinet. Do you bring that configuration together into a unified view so that I can just treat them as one thing? We do. And what we see most commonly are customers that are migrating from an open source solution like an Ansible or a single vendor solution like Cisco DNA or you know Panorama from Palo Alto. And those products are powerful and, and you can do a lot with them. But in a multi-vendor environment where you've got you know two or more types of firewalls, in any environment where you've chosen best in class, you may have one vendor for wireless, one vendor for routing, one vendor for switching, four different vendors, depending upon what size firewall you need. And being able to manage that in one common user interface and begin to understand your security posture across the entire ecosystem is ultra critical in today's environments. Yeah, this is what I mean about, we said before, we made the claim that we're reducing complexity and you want multiple brands of firewall or some people want them and you've got to bring them all together into a unified thing. Now, I want to extend this a little bit because a lot of firewalls, what we would just think of as firewalls, aren't just filtering traffic. They're also now multi-cloud appliances doing SASE and SD-WAN. Are you ready for that as well? Yes, we are. And, and many of our buyers are using those devices that are doing SASE, SD-WAN, IPS, IDS, firewall functions, you know, all within one piece of equipment, whether it's physical or virtual. We see that all the time and we're able to help those customers just the same as if they were using a traditional physical firewall on-prem. So you reconcile all of that. So even if I had multiple brands of IDS or multiple brands of SD-WAN, you would be able to bring that together in some sort of way so that I can automate the configuration, get the backups of these devices. So this includes probably the cloud services that sit behind, like a lot of these SD-WAN solutions are cloud-managed. Right. And so what the way we would typically interact with something like that is maybe you request the change through ServiceNow or some ITSM tool, and then ServiceNow pushes that change to our product. And ServiceNow doesn't need to know that the change is different on a Palo versus a 40 versus a Cisco. We handle all that. When it comes to the expertise around managing disparate device types, we support almost 200 vendors and thousands of device types. That is a big part of the secret sauce of what makes Backbox special. <laughs> Without having to write Ansible scripts for the rest of your life. That's exactly right. Greg, you hit on one of my favorite topics, which is 
uh, how you integrate with these cloud managed controllers, right? Cloud managed is becoming bigger and bigger into the industry. And we're looking at exactly how you should do that. And we go and we talk to the API for either the device or the controller. So one recent example of this is we partnered with uh, Cisco Secure to create a video around how to do updates on their uh, FTDs, right? And while it's not a cloud managed controller, it is a controller on the FMC, right? The, the firewall management center that they have. And so we were able to go through and talk to the controller and do the upgrade entirely through the controller or directly to the device. So when you have things like an SD-WAN where it has to be done through that controller, you know we have that expertise uh, in-house and the capability in order to do that. Now, there's a credibility gap there because you have to be big enough to get Cisco's attention or vendors' attention to do that. Are you that big? Well, we're, we're that big, but I think maybe more importantly, we sell to customers that have their attention. When AT&T or Sprint or, you know, BT or Verizon or, or Walmart, you know, when a big company calls a hardware vendor and says, hey, we're working with Backbox and we need this to work, they pay attention. But also, right. yeah. if you're selling into an environment, if you're a seller within, let's just say Palo Alto, and you're selling to a Cisco environment, you need to know that that customer can begin to mix in your equipment without having to retool. So knowing that if they're using Backbox, that they can support that multi-vendor best-in-class environment, puts you on equal footing with whatever the incumbent is in that environment. You raised an issue a little bit earlier that I thought we should circle back around on about CVEs. Can you talk about what you're doing with CVEs? What happens when a CVE comes out and I need to you know, maybe patch or upgrade an OS and how do you get into that process? So first of all, we have a new product. It's not been officially released. We're in sort of beta right now called the Network Vulnerability Manager. And what we're doing is we're consolidating CVE information from around the industry into one simple to use analysis tool and then integrating that within our network automation platform. Now, that's really important for a few reasons. Number one, when you onboard a new device, and as most of us know, if we've been running networks for a while, you won't always know when someone adds a device to your network. You may not know at all. But when that new device is automatically discovered and brought into a system to be managed, you need to understand, is that device compliant or is it lowering my security posture? And if that device onboards and you know immediately that that device is vulnerable to a critical CVE, you need to automate an update right then. You also need to automate an audit and any remediation of the configuration itself before that device is accepted to be managed by the rest of your team. Additionally, on an ongoing basis, you need to be able to understand where your risks are. Should you focus on automating Fortinet upgrades this weekend? Or do you need to focus on the Palos or which devices and which CVEs are most critical? There's a tremendous amount of work being done around. <laughs> so that's a terrible thing to say. That You're literally right, though. If you've got multiple brands of firewalls under administration, you're on any given weekend, you're going to be picking and choosing which CVEs you're going to address, right? Or even days of the week. There's so much complexity, so much change going on that you actually need to be doing this continuously almost. Th that's exactly right. And... And our goal is that you use Backbox to do it so that it happens while you're asleep mm -hmm. and you plan it during the week, you set it up. And if something goes wrong, it wakes you up and tells you. But otherwise, yeah. you read the report the next morning and go on about your day. I want to come back at something here. Now, a lot of people talk a lot about golden configs where you say this box needs to have a golden config. And this is the compliant. It's often related to policy or audits and thing, you know, or if you're a classified network. 
How do you handle around golden configs and change detection? Yeah, so we handle it both initially during onboarding and we handle it as part of our nightly config review process. So when the configuration is backed up, we're auditing the configuration to see if it's still in line with the golden config, i.e., is the configuration correct? Is the OS level correct? Does this fit into our best practices around what this device should look like? And if not, can I automate the remediation to push it back into compliance with those golden federation standards? And we do that out of the box for all the devices we support. So out of the box, you effectively, you've got an audit and remediate solution built in. It's just, you don't need a golden config because you automatically, you, if you work through the process in your software, the remediation is automatic and the audit logs automatically get filed, I guess. Not only, though, are we allowing you to automate those golden configs, we also have a set of best practices that we've built into Backbox uh, that you can rely on. These are from the Center for Internet Security. So if you know what CIS benchmarks are, we've built these in for uh, vendors like Cisco, Forti, Checkpoint, Palo, et cetera, right? where we have built a standard out and you can rely on that to go and look and say, okay, well, my golden config might be A or B or C, but is that in line with industry best practices? Now you don't have to go and read that multiple hundred page document in order to figure it out. Yeah, and I, I think about golden configs in three dimensions, right? So there's there's the OS, yeah. then there's the configuration in terms of, is this the right config for a device serving this function? But then there's also golden configs in terms of, are the DNS settings consistent? Are the SNMP settings consistent? Are the NTP settings consistent? Well, APIs now, are the APIs restricted? Is the management network still configured? Like you don't want to have like the, the classic is the F5 load balancer with the management interface presented to the internet. And also the, the associated ACLs for those functions, which you'll probably push out globally. So it's those types of changes and being able to automate and remediate that is really key to saving time. There's a lot of things about speed to deployment when you start to deploy Backbox, I think what I've heard is that basically most of what normal people want to do comes out of the box with Backbox. D did you see? Did you see what I did there? I did. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we talked about automatically able to do backup and restore, built-in audit remediation, uh, change detection, and signaling around there. You're talking about OS updates and vulnerability management. We talked about all of that, but the other part, which is sort of not so much a 30-day thing, but as part of the strategic decision about to buy products. What about if I've got to integrate it with some sort of IT service management tool or some sort of knock stack? Is there lateral connectivity or federated connectivity between Backbox and other tools? East-West connectivity for those other types of tools is built in. We have many, many customers that integrate within an ITSM stack and also within the knock stack. And what we mean by that, you know, ITSM, the most common one out there is ServiceNow. We see it amongst many of our enterprise customers and amongst the not stack, we see a lot of PRTG by Paceler, a lot of Logic Monitor, a lot of Ovic, whatever you're using to manage the network. When you see a, a site go down, your first question is going to be, what changed? Who changed what? So integrating configuration management with network monitoring and traffic analysis is super important. And so fitting into that notch stack so that the, the network operations team has access to config data and the ability to roll back configs during an outage is hypercritical to really reducing MTTR and improving uptime. I want to dive into that a little bit because I think uh, the specifics of how you do integration are important, right? The first piece of that is, am I integrating when I do an automation, right? Am I communicating to my ServiceNow instance and saying, hey, you know, I've run this automation and if there's a failure, I'm opening some sort of trouble ticket. Then there's the pieces that are, you know, going 
the other way. Hey, you know, there's something I want to do that I'm seeing in Logic Monitor. I want to be able to click a button and send data back to Backbox, run an automation, uh, restart a device. We have both the easy connection when we run our automations to tooling like ServiceNow that you can say, hey, if there's a failure, I need to open a ticket. We have the ability to connect to Slack, which we just released an article on exactly how to do that for our customers. I can create a chatbot kind of thing or a little bot that pops up and says, event, alert, you know. Exactly. Uh, And then the other side is the API connections, right? One of the great things about Backbox is the richness of the API, as well as that swagger page that comes up just as you click that API button. And you can see everything you can do in Backbox from that API page that is on the Backbox server. So you don't have to go and search through docs. I think what you're actually saying to me there is that you're actually doing bi-directional API reads and writes. You will talk to ServiceNow to raise a ticket, but you're also ready for ServiceNow integration to come down and talk to Backbox to drive an activity, as an example. And I mean, I'm sure this thing would apply just as much to Cisco Viptel or SD-WAN or Fortinet, you know, SD-WAN or whatever, right? Right. I I guess what I'm getting at is you don't need to create a little third-party application like a Flask stack or something sitting outside of Backbox in order to drive those events. And you also said something interesting. You talked about Logic Monitor. So what I'm also hearing is that you've integrated with a number of visibility tools. And you're saying if my application visibility starts to signal that there's packet loss or an application's not performing at a given speed, you could be part of an automation flow to address that. Absolutely. Not only that, but when you think about the needs of an operations team versus trying to restrict access to a CLI, one of the great things about Backbox is you can use the API to give those teams limited access. So if as a part of troubleshooting, if I'm a tier one network operations center specialist and I need to see the configuration of that device, I don't want to necessarily give that person a CLI. But what I can do is have a button in their monitoring product that pulls the configuration and displays it and shows the configuration yesterday, the configuration right now, and anything that might have changed on the screen within the network monitoring tool so that technician has access to it. Likewise, we can limit what types of actions those users can take through the automations. So for example, we might allow them to enable a port or roll back a config, but not delete an access list. Those types of things are built into the product as well. That takes away so many excuses from an MSP. Like as a customer of MSPs, I'd probably want them to have a tool like Backbox, if not Backbox, because then they would, you know, the engineer would be able to say, oh yeah, click, click. Oh, I can see the config. I can see the visibility data. I can see there was a change made and I'm going to roll that back. And then that would automatically raise a ticket for somebody to go and investigate why the change had to be rolled back or something. I love that because we actually did this with a, a prospect on a uh, early exploration call just the other day where they had Wi-Fi data they wanted to be able to collect if they had certain questions about, you know, someone who's connecting, is their connection good? What's going on with it? They had a, a set of metrics they wanted to be able to collect uh, in just a single click or, you know, in, in another example, it could be just an API driven uh, type of thing. And we were able to sit down with them and have them build that out with their own knowledge within 20 minutes on the Backbox product uh, and get reporting going on exactly what that would look like. So when you're talking like in the first 30 days, this was within the first, I would say, you know, a couple hours, we were able to get them up to speed. And this is all these lateral integrations and you could decide a workflow. And But it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of limits on a workflow here. 
you can service now to backbox, backbox to service now, backbox to visibility tool, you know, logic monitor, backbox to vendor networking tool, whatever. Well, I mean, the devil's in the details, right? And and people would have to talk to you about the specifics, but it does feel like most of the features that you can think of are kind of already in place. Well, it's in production amongst, you know, hundreds and hundreds of customers and hundreds of thousands of networks through main or service providers. So the, the key is that you do need that bi-directional API connection because, you know, the ServiceNow ticket may need to instantiate a new VLAN. And before it can determine an IP address range for the VLAN and, and availability on the switch, it might have to query BatBox as a network source of truth for that information. And then based upon that information it collected, also direct BatBox and other tools to run automations to provision things. And then once that provisioning is done, send it back to ServiceNow so the app owner, whoever requested it, can get the data that they need. It's that type of bi-directional API-driven workflow that really saves teams a lot of time and lets them start to do what people think of as true net DevOps. So you just raised an, an interesting point that I wanted to touch on. because You mentioned network source of truth, which was going to be my next question. So it sounds like you consider yourself a network source of truth, but you could also interact with other systems that an organization might decide for this use case or this set of devices, that's my source of truth. Yeah, I mean, I think that if if your focus is simply network source of truth and the network is the limit of your scope, Batbox is a, is a great product for that. What most organizations do over time is they lean on a CMDB as sort of a network source of truth, and it's broader than just the network. So in those environments, we're going to be responsible for populating and updating and maintaining the integrity of the data in the CMDB as it relates to the network. But there's no more accurate source of truth than a real-time query of the device and or the network and then pull that data back. You know that right now that is 100% accurate, absolutely that port is either used or not. I also wanted to ask about network security. Like the obvious thing when you start talking about security in networking is the obvious one is, are all the switch ports disabled? And I mean, that's actually quite a difficult thing to do if you're just writing an Ansible script or crafting some Python. But how do we move away from just configuration management to, you know, if I've got an open source tool set or an open source frame of mind, how do I then move to a commercial mindset? And what's the gap between open source and what Backbox does? I think when you're thinking about open source, right, you need to think about, uh, does my team have the development skills in order to do this? Um, we were at Cisco Live recently, and uh, we talked to, I, I would say, maybe a, a half dozen customers who were in this open source conundrum, right? They had previously implemented some Ansible or some Python in order to do the automation that they were doing. Either someone on their team left or they weren't able to convince everyone else on their team to learn those skills and they were stuck with development. Not everybody wants to write code and it's frustrating in its way. Right. And, you know, like if you you can't just go out and hire people with those skills, like finding someone who's a Python and football network professional is a pretty rare breed. It yeah. is, especially if you also need to be knowledgeable about network security. The trifecta of network engineer with cybersecurity skills and able to write Python or PowerShell is it's like a purple spotted unicorn. They're extremely rare, uh, rarely seen in the wild. And the reality is that most mature network automation strategies will leverage off-the-shelf products like Backbox and some extension through scripting or Python or PowerShell or whatever. Now, the good news is if you've got PowerShell strips or Ansible playbooks that you've been using, you can leverage those from within the Backbox platform. 
The other good news is if you don't want to write those yourself, we have a network automation team as a service offering, and we can do that for you as part of your premium service contract, or if it's more extensive as part of professional services offering. But we really focus on helping these network teams run at pace so they can begin to keep up because everyone we talk to is behind. We did a survey with Wakefield a few months ago. 92% of respondents said that they have more network changes needed to be made than they can possibly keep up with. Open source technology is uh, unblameable. When something goes wrong, it's on you to fix it. Whereas if you know you can ring up Backbox or, or a vendor in your and say, I've got this problem in there, in theory, they'll do something about it at least anyway. I think there's one more interesting point about open source in that you kind of watch the evolution of open source over the past few years and it's a bit worrying, right? So the first one that kind of was the, oh, stuff is hitting the fan is Amazon, the the AWS purchase of Batfish. You know, you see the IBM purchase of Red Hat, which includes Ansible, and then the shutting down kind of, of Red Hat as a true open source type of framework. You're seeing even with things like OpenAI, where they were, you know, this open source or, or nonprofit type of entity, you know, and transitioned to profit focused. Yeah, IBM now sees its Linux, its Red Hat Linux products as a leader for professional services, for example. They've been quite clear. The IBM Global Services is a huge revenue driver, and that's why the acquisition is so valuable. I mean, one of my good friends, Denny LeCompte, who's CEO over at Portnox, which is a great network access control product, he always used to ask me questions about free. He'd say, well, is it free like a puppy or free like a beer? And open source (laughs) is free like a puppy. (laughs) Yeah, I like to say free like a baby. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's the perfect analogy, right? Open source is becoming less and less open source and more about driving that services revenue, like you're saying. I think what we're seeing is that open source, as we get to ever larger problems, the ability of open source to address the bigger problem, mostly open source projects solve a small problem. You know, somebody had an itch and so they scratched it and then they open sourced it and and it went on. This is not always true. There are products where, you know, they get bigger and bigger. But generally, you know, Ansible was a very tightly focused problem on agent-based configuration management. And now it's considered to be expanded. But I think the point that we're making here is that the nature of open source is changing and your ability to just keep using it gets more and more complex as your network gets bigger and bigger and bigger. In theory, you could build something like Backbox out of Ansible, but it would be hundreds, if not thousands of Ansible playbooks and you'd have an automation tower and you'd have licenses and you'd have a whole team of developers writing it all the time. Is that really what you want to be doing? You're right. And I think that the number of enterprises who consider their open source built network automation products to be a real differentiator and a core value to their business is shrinking. And I very rare, I sometimes see that in very large enterprises where they feel like they have to build it themselves. You know, if you're Amazon or Walmart, you're probably not automating your network with an off the shelf product, although you may use some of those products in addition to open source. But where I very rarely see those types of projects are among MSPs and MSSPs, because those organizations tend to have a clearer path to gross margin and profitability, and they just don't have the time to to build their own tools. Yeah. So it's that question of how MSPs come to market and how enterprises want, you know, what's core to them? Are they technology companies or are they a sales business or are they a a manufacturing company and things like that? I also think one of the interesting things here too is we're also seeing that a lot of vendors are losing trust with their customers. And so when we look at configuration management versus network automation, people are moving up the stack when they're transitioning. If you're looking at a single vendor solution of network 
configuration management or network automation, they often don't work outside the box. So Backbox will work across, you know, can provably work across multiple vendors, networks. And, you know, whether whether you're just doing, you know, multiple switches or multiple firewalls or you've got different brands in different places. Whereas most vendors are still fairly narrowly focused around a limited number of brands. So if you're a multi-vendor operation deliberately or through acquisition and growth, which is much more likely, then Backbox is a stronger solution here, I would suggest. Well, there's no doubt that if you're a network vendor, you'd like to keep your competitors out of those customer environments, right? So you're not going to build a multi-vendor automation tool because it's to your advantage to keep it single vendor. But I think the reality is that most people have multi-vendor networks. They go and acquire a new business unit or they acquire a company or they merge or somebody comes along and does a shadow IT and lo and behold, you've got a bunch of stuff in an off-prem cloud running in VMs or you know whatever. I think that's the key, right? Even if your physical sort of traditional legacy network is single vendor, which again is less than 1% of the companies out there, then as you extend to public cloud, to SASE, SD-WAN, VMware, as you mentioned, now you're multi-vendor, whether you like it or not, and you're going to need a multi-vendor solution in order to manage that effectively. And just, I want to clarify a couple of questions. First, uh, we've talked a lot about MSPs, and I know you work with MSPs, but can I also, if I'm just a single enterprise customer, uh, use your product? Yes, absolutely. The majority of our customers are enterprise customers, but we do have some very large MSPs around the world that leverage us to manage their customer networks as well. And the second thing is we've been talking about some you know, of the, the downsides of, of open source tools and open source tooling, but it sounds like if I've made that investment in Python, Ansible, other open source tools, I can continue to leverage those while working with Backbox as well. Yes, absolutely. It's a key part of what we do. Okay. So you mentioned uh, you know, doing some research with Wakefield. Are there other trends you're seeing from customers in the market around network automation, network automation struggles? There are. We're, we're seeing trends where people are, are shifting. They're shifting away from labor-intensive products, and they're shifting away from point solutions that have limited automation capabilities. Being able to do a backup or a config compare is not enough. It's not true automation. We're seeing, I think, for the first time in my 30-year career, we're seeing the enterprises and service providers, the world at large, agree that automation is not optional. And they're seeking out a way to start to leverage it in whatever way they can. And we're seeing this from organizations of all sizes, really. Um, and I think a big part of what's driving it are these CVEs, because nobody wants to be in the news for you know having some exploit get through your firewall to steal company data. And it's because of a CVE that was announced a year ago, and we, you just haven't had time to patch. I think the other thing, too, is a lot of CVEs are becoming more complex. It's not like you know, we just have to block this traffic anymore. It's, we have to filter this application if it comes from this IP address or if it matches this threat detection rule that comes from a third party. So many people now get threat detection feeds and are integrating them. And in some cases, when you see a CVE, you actually want to start doing a regression to start testing for lateral movement. Did they get in? Did they start moving laterally? Whereabouts did they go in the network? And then Backbox would be a primary tool for that type of activity. And the mitigation may be multi-step as well. There may be a, an immediate step you can make to disable a service or block a port or something like that. And, and that may lead to an OS upgrade or a patch later and then a re-enablement of those services. So it can be complex, but getting your arms around this proactively before you've been compromised is the key. Yeah. Right? Staying ahead of the curve as it relates to CVE management. 
with that said around the complexity of cves also the tooling around exploiting cves is getting richer and richer right so you look at these ai tools like chat gpt people who never would have had the ability to exploit something as complex as a highly complex cve are now now able to you know have a tool that can almost build them the code to do that as long as they can tell it exactly what it needs to do. Oh, yeah, that's my one of my favorite lines is I'm much more worried about evil humans with AI than AI turning evil. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> if you give a hacker an AI capability, well, you know, what's going to happen? It's not so much the AI is going to be evil. We're going to have even better, you know, evil humans doing much greater work. And that's the sort of, you've got to scale up your tooling. That doesn't mean bigger and better firewalls with more rules and tighter controls. It means how fast can you proactively respond to this? There's a CVE out. It's been found. How quickly can we, you know, upgrade the boxes? We can't upgrade the boxes. Okay, let's get a, a rule in place, a blocking rule in place while we work that out. And you want to be able to push that rule in with real confidence that you can back it out if that's what you had to do because, you know, something broke in the business because you added a rule to react to a CVE. That's that's the sort of everyday stuff that we face now. All right, well, we've uh, run up to the end of our time, Perry and Josh. If folks are interested in Backbox, if they want to get more details, more information, or try it for themselves, where would they go? Well, the easy place to go is backbox.com slash packet pushers. You should also reach out to us on LinkedIn or anywhere you can find Perry and I. We're also commonly speaking to industry events. We go to Sister Alive, Fortinet Accelerate, Palo Alto Ignite. We're everywhere. So, but backbox.com slash packet pushers is the best place to go to find out more. All right. That's backbox.com slash packet pushers or meet them live at an event. Thanks, Josh and Perry, for joining us and for Backbox for sponsoring packet pushers. Sponsors make everything we do at packet pushers possible. That includes an entire network of free technical podcasts on networking, cloud, professional development, and more. You can find all these podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, hear us on Spotify, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.